About 10 years ago or so, a great storm hit Louisiana, Mississippi, and the Gulf region. And most of you know that was Hurricane Katrina. And many of you, I'm sure, was, were watching the news reports. They came in and you heard about the looting and you saw all the things that went on. And it's always amazing me in a travesty what people make it on the TV screen uh, and what people don't. And so you always hear the horror stories. And so uh, when we had evacuated and we'd finally come to Charlotte to be with my parents uh, for three or four days before we headed back to New Orleans, um, I was amazed at, uh, at the, what the news was saying. And I was even amazed by the lack of leadership. Um, the lack of leadership that was so desperately needed in a critical time. And it really didn't matter the affiliation. Uh, it didn't really matter the political party. Uh, because what went on in Louisiana and what went on during that storm. And I think that government agencies. I know uh, the governor's office learned a lot in Louisiana. I think uh, our federal government learned a lot through that, that travesty and that trial. But in the, in the crux of the situation when you had the looting. And you had uh, the, the rapes and the crime that were going on in the city of New Orleans. There was hesitancy to act. There was a pause to act. And there was poor leadership all the way around. I remember watching the TV screen and listening at the time. Uh, her name was Kathleen Blanco. She was the first female governor of Louisiana. And uh, George Bush, uh, the, the little man, uh, had said uh, that he would be glad to send in troops to Louisiana. And uh, this is when the chaos was ensuing. And so the governor of Louisiana says, I'll get back to you in 48 hours. Uh, and she did this in a press conference. I'll get back to you in 48 hours. In 48 hours, there was all kinds of havoc in the city. Because the person who is in the leadership position failed to lead. The person who was in the leadership position failed to utilize the resources at her ability. And the other mistake that was made in this whole travesty is the fact that she allowed herself to break down on the podium. Here the leader of Louisiana who is supposed to give order and sustenance to the people and citizens of Louisiana broke down on the stage. It was pitiful. It was the worst. I mean, if I would have been her, her assistant or her press secretary, I would have crawled under a seat because there was no redeeming it. There was no let me put a spin on this. There was only there was a failure to lead. How do I know that there was a failure to lead? I know that there was a failure to lead because in the next election, we won't even go there. She didn't even run. A failure to lead. If there's anything that we need in our world today, it is quality leaders. It is the ability to lead people, to motivate people, to encourage people, to push people beyond where they are and push them into the arena where they believe or we believe collectively that God wants us to be. And so when we look at leadership, you may say, well, I'm a follower I'm not a leader. We'll get there in a few minutes. But the first, the first thing I want to share with you is, and, and here's the thing, you're, you're, everything that they teach you in school, everything they push you, they want us to have. I mean, who doesn't want to be a leader? Is that not what we push in school? Is not what we push in education? We want people to be student leaders. Chris even has student leaders in youth ministry. Those are people that show potential, the ability, not just to show up, not just to have a good time, but the ability to invest in younger people, the ability to invest in others in order to get them around a common goal so that we can not just talk about what we want to do, but we can actually do it, forcing 
the way ahead. Leaders always have, and these are, these are not exhaustive points, there's not an exhaustive lift, list of the qualities that leaders have, but I think when we look at overall in the scripture, I mentioned uh, Mark chapter 1 verses 16 to 20, we're going to be both in the New and Old Testament today, but the first, the first thing is this, that if I look at leaders, and I look at leadership, and this is not just in the church, this is leaders in business, this is leaders in community, these are leaders as politicians, they're, uh, any, any sort of leadership capacity, these are qualities that you and I need to be looking for in those leaders. First and foremost, leaders must have a willingness to embrace the unfamiliar. Anybody can lead in familiarity. Anybody can lead during normal times. Anyone can lead when everything's going great. But leaders challenge themselves to go beyond what is familiar and to go into unfamiliar territory. I'll give you an example. If you look in Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, you'll see that there was a man by the name of Abram. And the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. And verse 2, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. What a promise. The promise of God is... If Abraham is willing to leave his family, leave his land, leave his familiarity and embrace the unknown. When you and I are on the, on, the, on the verge of greatness, it is often the difference between those who are great and those who arrive at greatness is the ability to go beyond what is familiar. The ability to step out of comfortability and go into the unknown. To embrace the unknown, to walk in faith, to pursue God. And that's exactly what Abram does. Abraham listens to God, he follows God, and all generations are blessed through him. Why? Because he was willing to embrace the unfamiliar. He was willing to go to the unknown. God made him, look at this, God made him into someone great. You and I, you can say today, I don't really feel great. I don't look great. I actually, and some of you may say, I actually look better than I feel. You may say that. Here's the, here's the reality. You and I have not reached our greatest potential. You and I aren't great followers until we choose to embrace where God has called us to go and where God has called us to be. If you are simply going to go through church the way it's always done, the way it's been done for the, for the 2,100 or 2,000 years of Christendom, so to speak, if you're simply just going to go through the hoops, so to speak, so at the end of your life you can say, well, I was a member of this church, I served on this committee, I helped with this children's yard sale, I gave money to this youth fundraiser, I served as a deacon, I served as a Sunday school teacher. If that's all you're attempting to do, you're going to lead a boring, dull, spiritual life walk. God has not called you to the familiar. God has called you to think out of the box. And you and I, I mean, we, you know, collectively, we can think a lot greater than what we could think in along. So when we, when he's calling us out of the box, I believe that God wants us to imagine the way things could be. Now, some people imagine First Baptist Church is like a beautiful pillar of the community with its four white columns and its brick structures. Its stature is great amongst the people. I imagine a church that goes beyond the parameters of the wall and embraces 
community. But not sacrificing the church for community. Embracing the community because it's what Jesus did. But everything that Jesus embraced, every unfamiliar territory that Jesus engaged in, the sole purpose of the engagement was transformation through God and God alone. That's what you and I need to seek in our own walk. That's what you and I need to seek as we are educators. That's what you and I need to seek as we run our businesses. That's what you and I need to seek in the school system. We have been placed, students, listen to this. You have been placed in your school. There's a reason that you're in the school that you're in. It's not just by chance. It's not just because your parents were raised in East Tennessee or you moved here because uh, uh, your parents moved here because of a job and you planted here. God wanted you here. In 2015, in your grade, in your school, sitting beside your classmate, engaging on the field with your classmate for his glory. Never think that God's call in your life has to do only with the future. God's call always has to do with the here and now, the present sense of the moment. What's God doing through you in this very moment. An ability, an ability to embrace the unknown. Leaders have a willingness to do just that. But secondly, leaders have a plan in addressing and overcoming obstacles. Now some of you may know this. I've, I've told the story I think on a Wednesday night. Uh, my father was in the United States Air Force. He's now retired. It was served for, for nearly 39, 40 years in the United States military. And um, one of his, his, his bosses one day, uh, he, didn't have a very, he didn't have a great relationship with his boss. My father's not a reader. He doesn't enjoy reading. But his boss really did enjoy reading. So his boss was constantly poking and prodding at my father and whatnot. And, and I, love, I love my dad's boss. And I, and I tell him this when I've seen him. I'm like, you know, one of the things that an indelible impression that you made upon me as a leader was this. I went to visit my father one day for lunch. And his boss was chewing someone else out. Uh, when I walked in, I was like, oh, I'm going to enjoy this. Glad he's not chewing me out. And so I remember his boss uttering these words. Do not come to my office complaining about a problem unless you have a better solution to the problem. I think that is a beautiful statement. Man, they need to print that in every church bulletin and in every church constitution. Because here's the thing. It, it takes nothing for you and me to complain about things. But I tell you what, it takes a lot. To come up with some better solutions. Real leaders don't just complain. We're real leaders don't sit in the stands taking pop shots about this player should have done that. And he should have gone here. He should have thrown the ball there. If he'd have made that. Real leaders find solutions to the problems and implement them. They become change agents. Leaders have a plan in addressing and overcoming obstacles. If you need a biblical reference, I invite you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, there's this little meek and mild boy named David. And the great Philistine Goliath has been taunting the Israelites for years. Making fun of them. And the Israelites have lost and lost and lost. And they are fear and trembling when Goliath and his whole uh, entourage come around. But David, who is a meek boy, who's not been trained in the army. Who's not been trained with artillery of that day. Who's not been trained in military tactics. Puts himself forward and says, this Goliath caused you a problem? I'll handle it. A leader steps up to the plate. And here's what happens, ladies and gentlemen. Oftentimes, when a leader steps up to the plate, the rest of us look at him like, who's that cat? What's he doing? Who does he think he is? 
David comes up to the plate, and I want you to notice the power, the power that David speaks. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 45, David says to the Philistine, I want you to imagine somebody size of me, maybe a little bit shorter, I'm David. Whew. Then you've got Goliath, we'll just say John Hutchins, he's big, there we go, John Hutchins, Goliath. And David, David goes out in front of the armies of the Philistines. And John comes out in front of the, uh, in front of the army of the Israelites. David goes out. And in front of the army of the Philistines, Goliath comes out. And John's taunting me. And he says, I'll feed you to the dogs. You want to play fetch boy? Now I want you to notice what David says in verse 45. He says, David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down, and I'll cut off your head. Don't you want to have your children draw that in Sunday school? This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. And history has been written. I want you to pay attention to those words. Is there anything powerful about David? No. He had a ruddy complexion as the Bible records. He wasn't very uh, great looking so to speak. But yet he made himself available. He saw an obstacle. He saw someone taunting his people and their future. And he stepped to the plate and he said, let me tell you something. If you, the rest of you can't do something, I'll do something. I'll stand here because I know that when I stand in God's name, we are going to be victorious. Courageous leadership by a weak boy who ends up being stronger than anybody that the Israelites had ever, cha- ever, ever, ever trained. And the amazing, ladies, the, the, the amazing thing here is he addressed the problem, he provided a solution to the problem, and he overcame the obstacle that was staring him in his face. Ladies and gentlemen, some of you have got obstacles in your life. You have prayed, did God take this one away? Have we not all prayed that? But it doesn't seem to go away. You prayed, I want this situation to be better, but it's not. You prayed, God, would you, send, would, you, would you do something? I just need you to do something. And what God wants to say to you today, if you want the obstacle removed from your life, do something about it. Stand up, stand strong with the armor of God and allow Him, allow Him to defeat your problem. Because the battle is not yours, it's His. Don't try to own the battle It is his. Good leaders know when to hold them and know when to fold them. And they they know who to give credit to. Making sure that God is in leadership. Making sure God is going to do what he says. And believing and trusting it in the Lord. Leaders have a plan in addressing 
And working through their obstacles just like David did. David was successful because why? Not because he was trained. Not because he was eloquent. Not because he was a sharpshooter with that sling. David triumphed because David believed in God. Trusted in God. And went out and did a spectacle for God. And God honored him. Some of you are faced with situations that other people have told you. It'll never be different. Some of you are facing situations in your relationship with your spouse. You don't see, you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And for all practical purposes, many of you have at some season of your life given up hope of there ever being change. I want to tell you that your Goliath can be defeated. But it will not be defeated on your terms or my terms. It will be defeated on his terms when you as the leader, as a follower of Jesus Christ says, Here I stand. I'm going to be used by you God do what you want let me be your instrument of change and allow God to rain down in that moment and I promise you I promise you the obstacle that you have has so defined your life the circumstances are so crowded up and showed up at your doorstep if they don't end they will dissipate and you will gain a new perspective and you will be able to say this that issue that problem that situation it has no more power here. Why? Because God is in the business of defeating giants. Thirdly, Mark chapter 1 verses 16 through 20 as I read earlier today. Jesus going as he calls the first disciples. He finds the disciples doing what they would normally be doing, uh, normally be doing in their work day. And he says to them, come and follow me and I will make you fish for people. Or I will help you go fish for people however you want to translate that. Here's the, here's the message ladies and gentlemen. All great leaders are followers. The greatest leaders in history have been followers. No man is an island unto himself. No woman is an island unto herself. You and I need to be pursuing and reading. We need to sharpen our skills. Here's the thing. God's principles that are out in the cosmos, God's principles, I mean, he created the world, the universe, and everything in it. You don't only, listen, this is our primary text when we go and we want to understand what God wants to do for our lives. But there are other sources that God uses to speak. I challenge you, don't only focus on leadership books that are written by church people. Read leadership books written across the spectrum and you'll find this commonality. These principles are there. All great leaders are followers. Now we happen to follow whom? Jesus and that makes all the difference in our world. But what, here's the thing. When you're following someone, you've got your focus on that person. You've got your focus on what they embodied. And that gives you strength for the long haul. When you've got the nya, 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 nya going on behind you that you're never going to be able to do this. You're never going to be able to successfully lead. You're never going to be successful in what you're doing. Your focus is on the one you're following. And Pretty soon, the Naz and the Naz, they go away because your central focus is to accomplish the goal and to pursue the one that you're following. Pursue Jesus. Don't worry about who's chasing your coattails. Don't worry about what's going behind you. Don't worry about where you've been. Don't worry about what you're doing. Focus on Jesus because he's going to take you to a far better place than you and I ever imagined. All great leaders our followers. Simon and Andrew, James and John, when Jesus calls them, the Bible says, at once and without delay, they left and they followed him. 
What do you do when Jesus calls you or moves in your life to do something? Do you wait? Do you hesitate? The difference between a pitiful follower and a dynamic follower that's a leader is the ability to listen to Jesus, hear his call, and heed his word. To pursue and follow where he calls, what he calls you to do. You embody it, you embrace it, you accept it. It becomes a part of you. We have to be able to follow Jesus without hesitating about it. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, Kathleen Blanco, when she was governor of Louisiana, and we had that great storm and hit, she didn't have 48 hours to decide about whether she was going to ask the federal government to come in for help. She didn't have 40 hours. She took 48 hours. She didn't have it because every hour that ticked was more looting, more crime, more death. You say, well, there's not that many people that died uh, in Hurricane Katrina. Let me just tell you this. There's not that many that were reported. But what you need to know is this, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but Tabby knows. We were in New Orleans, downtown New Orleans, the Sunday after it hit on Monday. We went down there to take medication with FEMA doctors from, that were working with, uh, with Department of Homeland Security. We were taking medication to people who had been stranded. And I'm taking pictures. It was the eeriest thing. Canal Street, if you've ever been down there, it was empty. I mean, it was eerie. It, it reminded me of watching the movie uh, Saving Private Ryan after the city's been bombed and the troops are walking in. It was a surreal moment for me. It was that same kind of impact that I had when I watched the movie, except it was really happening. And so I was walking down the street taking pictures and... A troop, uh, uh, one of our uh, military people comes up to me and says, no more pictures beyond this, this point. And I, I asked him, I said, why? And he said, we have annihilated the problem. And the bodies are in Louis Armstrong Park. Now, you didn't hear that on the news. But it happened. All because, and here's why you didn't hear it. Because the PR nightmare of getting that out to the public would have caused even more havoc for the governor. See, leaders, real leaders, don't cover up when they make mistakes. Now, some of you are thinking, boy, I can't believe he's going off. I mean, he's going off. I'm just telling you, real leaders fess up to their mistakes. When they make a mistake, they need to own up to it. And what I see today, whether we're talking about business or we're talking about politics or we're talking about church, I see a lot of leaders that make mistakes. We make mistakes every day. But what I don't see is an ability to apologize when we've made mistakes. That was a mistake. Leaders, when they make mistakes, own up. Own those mistakes. Why? Because we're followers of the one who has sent us. We're followers of Jesus. And then finally... Leaders need to be conscious of time. You're not always going to be in the position that you are today. And students, I'm going to come back to you because you have an ability that I don't have. I can preach the gospel from this pulpit. I can come and I can share in the high school about water projects and ecology. I've been asked to do that. I can come to Harold McCormick Elementary Schools and talk about economics and coin collecting and numismatics. And that's basically the printing of money and and, and coinage. I can talk about all those things. But what I can't do is I cannot give a call to the gospel and ask people to respond at the school. 
Because I'm an adult and I'm, not, I'm a guest of the school. It's not my territory. But you who have been placed in your position as a student, you who are in a position of leadership, has the ability to reach across the, the desk to the person next to you and hopefully share with them Christ to make a difference. You can make a difference that I can't even, the scope of which I can't even reach. Celebrate where you are. Celebrate where your life is. Each of you in this congregation has people that you interface with that we might not ever be able to reach, but God has placed you strategically. You've wondered, why have I got night shift, dadgummit? I don't want night shift. I want a day shift. Could it be that God wants you at night shift because there's a soul that he wants to reach through you? Are you a leader willing to step up to the plate and do something for his glory? Quit complaining about your situation. Quit agonizing over your life and the way it is. Accept the way it is and move forward. Embrace whatever cards you've been dealt with. Play your cards to the glory of God. Because I'm going to tell you something. When you sit down with God and you play the cards that he's given you, you will walk away every time a winner. Leaders are conscious of their time. If you look in Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, it tells us to walk in wisdom with outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Some of your translations will say, making the most of every, uh, uh, making the most of your time. Whatever it might be, opportunity or time, same difference. You and I, time is of the essence. Paul was aware that his time was at hand. It was going to be very short before he was going to have to answer to the call and answer for the reasons of the hope that was within him. He would be persecuted. He would be shipwrecked multiple times. He would be flogged and beaten. And ultimately, he would die in Rome. What about your time? Becky shared this morning her story. And her story of kind of coming into Christ or coming, coming up in the church, accepting Christ as personal Lord and Savior on Easter Sunday. And then if you listen to her testimony, it said, her testimony is sort of like, you know, I made that commitment. I walked down the aisle. But then there was a season of time where there was this, and these are my words, kind of a disconnect. And so she went to college at Carson Newman. And what happened at Carson Newman is God, God, Put another girl at Carson Newman who happened to live right down the hallway from her. And as a result of that demonstration and that interface and that conversation and that relationship, it helped get her life back to center. Now, she also mentioned one other thing. Rick Warren's book, Purpose Driven Life. The number one book sold in the world outside of the Bible. If you've not read it, you should read it. It's a good book. But here's the thing. She doesn't know anything about Rick Warren. She's never met him. I can guarantee you that Rick Warren, when he was writing that book, was not thinking, I'm going to think how I can help some East Tennessee State University girl. He wasn't thinking that. He wrote the book. Why? Why? Because he wanted to make a difference. He stepped up to the plate. He wrote the book. For those of you who don't, are not Rick Warren fans, what I tell you about this, the proceeds of that book, he has never taken a dime from the sale of that book. That book has gone back to ministry and missions. Is what I've, I've, the latest I've been told. He wrote that book, never expecting the impact. And look what he did. Because he'd written a book, The Purpose Driven Church. Came out about a half a, a decade later. Wrote The Purpose Driven Life. And it's literally changed thousands of lives. Why? Because a leader chose to step up to the plate. Now here's the thing. You're not going to agree with every great leader. You won't. A leader, a leader doesn't even agree with himself most of the time. Or herself most of the time. 
But what you can confidently hold fast to is that a good leader is always going to be centered. He's not going to rock or she's not going to rock back and forth depending on how the wind is blowing or how the seasons of cultural change are going to happen. You and I need to be constant in our commitment to Christ. And though our world changes, our culture changes, and they change what they think is right and wrong, the standard stays the same. And that's a hard for us to swallow. Because we want to be accommodating. We have friends that are living outside the parameters of what we believe is true. And so we don't want to hurt their feelings. I've come to this realization. I would rather hurt their feelings than not be able to be a messenger to use by God in order to encounter their soul. If they're mad at me until they die and go to the grave, they won't be able to say, you know what, Todd was unwavering. He would not let up. He did not back down. In the face of opposition, he stood his ground. Even though I disagree with him, I can tell you I wish I had the hope that he has in his life. Have you ever heard somebody say something like that to you before? The ability to lead is not an ability to chase the wind. The ability to lead is not the ability to change like a thermometer. The ability to lead. Listen, a leader is not a thermometer. A leader is a thermostat. It sets. You set the temperature. It does not change because you will be unwielding and unwavering as long as you're centered in his word. I'm not talking about being centered on what your issue is or what you want to be dogmatic about. I'm talking about majoring and what Jesus majored in. And that is reaching the world for Christ. And I've come to the realization, I mean, I've been doing church for, gosh, I'm 30, 38 years old. I've been doing church for 38 and 39 years, and I'm only 38 years old. I've been doing church for 39 years. And my 39 years of being in church, even before I was born, I'm going to tell you that there's a lot of wasted time in the body of Christ. A lot of people, a lot of monies, a lot of resources have been wasted yeah, we had a good time, but did we impact the nations? And the answer to that is no. We have limited time. We have limited resources to make the most impact. And so our commitment has got to be not to do all things well, but to make sure that what we do is exactly what God desires for us to embody and to embrace as I've said before, there are a lot of great ideas. Great leaders don't chase after every great idea. Great leaders pick and choose the best ones for their locale, the best ones for their congregations, the best ones for their leadership. Why? Because let me tell you something. When you and I settle for God's best, you will excel in everything that you do. We mess up when we settle for less than God's very best and if you're here this morning and you have not you may say what do you mean settle i mean this if christ is not the center of who you are if your decision making your decision making deciding right and wrong and should i or can i if that is not centered in who christ is you are spiritually unhealthy and you are not a leader leaders know their limitations. Leaders also here. Leaders. The greatest leaders know when they need to step aside. 
They know when they need to step down. They know when they need to back up. They know when they need to, to take necessary time for them. Don't feel guilty when you feel like you need rest. Rest in him, but use it for his glory. I would love to create a church full of leaders. Because I know that a church full of leaders would be full of followers of Jesus Christ. And that evangelism would not just merely take place through vacation Bible school or from the power of the pulpit. Evangelism, the majority of it would transition to interpersonal relationship skills that you have in your workplace, at your senior centers, as you're working out in your business, in your schools, in your classrooms. See, I believe, I envision a time in which the church is going to be undergoing tremendous amount of persecution from all sides. We have enjoyed the blessing of freedom. We have enjoyed the blessing of being able to be an symbol. The time is coming. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm just telling you, the time is coming. The time is coming when we're not going to have the abilities that we've enjoyed all these years. And what I fear most is that many of us will fall away. Many of the church people will fall away. Why? Because they're not rooted in the gospel of Christ. I will die for the gospel of Christ. I will die for the gospel of Christ. You need to be able to answer that question. For what things are you willing to die? As you sit comfortably hot in this room. What motivates your life? What leads you? What guides you? You as a leader, how are you leading others to the threshold of the gospel? How are you leading others to the cross? I pray that I never compromise on his truth, on his grace, on his power, and his work. Because the day that you compromise, the day that you surrender this, the day that you say this doesn't matter, the day that you say that he doesn't matter, is the day you surrender your leadership. It is the day that you surrender to the whims of the world. God has not called us to surrender to the world. God has called us to reach the world through the one who called us. The power of Jesus Christ. So as you and I engage in leadership, as you and I engage his word, as you and I go throughout life, be willing to embrace the unfamiliar, be willing to address and overcome the obstacles, be willing to be a great follower of Jesus, and be conscious of our time. Time is of the essence. Because God is moving in people's lives. He continues to draw people into this place. And here's the thing. He's not drawing people to First Baptist Church so that we can say we had a good crowd. He's drawing people to First Baptist Church so that you can be trained and equipped to be unleashed to reach the nations with the gospel of Christ. That's why we are here. That's why I believe I'm in East Tennessee. This was not even on my radar map to come here. But I believe I'm here because God wants to use me and use you to reach people just like you and me. Messed up, fouled up, marred up. But we're followers of the King. We believe in Jesus. We believe in His Word. We're committed to it. Whether rain 
or shine, whether good or bad, whether we're on the mountaintop or in the valley, don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Seize this moment. Get on the forefront and defeat your giant. Overcome your obstacle. Be the leader that God has always wanted you to be. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your example throughout the entire scriptures of people that were just like us, that were radically called, radically saved, and radically radically moved to do amazing things. Lord, in this invitation, uh, as we think about our own personal walk, and we think about our situation, Lord, would you give us the strength to analyze? Would you help the Holy Spirit? Would you just utilize the Holy Spirit as he's already been moving in our midst to speak to us clearly? For those of us who need to accept Christ, for those of us who need to recommit ourselves to Him, for those of us who need to take a look, a long look at our lives and say, you know what, I, I have made some serious errors. I have been a poor leader. Or maybe we'd say today, I've not been a leader at all. I thought I was, but I'm not. Maybe someone today says, I've been, I've been whiny. I've, been, I've, just been, I've just been a whiner. I've whined all my life. And today the Lord has hit me upside the head and said, you need to grow up. Get with the program. Could there be a David in this room that needs to defeat the giant? Not in his own strength, but by just resting in the presence of God and allowing him to move. We need leaders. We need leaders who are called. We need leaders who are assembled in this place, in this time, in this setting to reach the nations for the gospel. Lord, it begins with us. May we be faithful and obedient to respond to you and how you're leading and guiding in these moments of decision. Maybe we need to come to the altar to pray for ourselves, pray for our spouse, pray for our children, pray for our situation. Whatever it is, However he leads, however he's moving, may we respond as we love Jesus and we are committed to making him known. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.